Ohio State is not bound for the Sweet 16. However, comma, the women have won the Frozen Four and a national championship in hockey. Pistol wins a national championship in hockey. We'll also talk about football a little bit later in the program. It's a jam-packed episode of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance, along with, as always, the erudite, the talented, the svelte Johnny Getter. <laughs> Johnny, I mean, a lot of a lot I'm of like things- none of those things. Oh, come now. <laughs> There are a lot of things going on with Ohio State sports uh, over the the past weekend. Um, Several good, several less good. Let's start with the one that pays the bills this time of year, shooty hoops. Ohio State had a shot late to get back into contention against Villanova, the two seed in the southern region, to make it to the Sweet 16. Alas, as we have seen more than once this basketball season, the team was not able to overcome uh, the hole it had dug itself into. And Villanova advanced. Ohio State did not, leaving the hopes of the Big Ten on the hated rival, the Michigan Wolverines, making its fifth trip to the Sweet 16 in five years. God, yeah. it hurts me to say that. Two programs going in very different directions. Let's let's talk about Ohio State's weekend. Uh, on the one hand, yeah, that Loyola game, pretty good. Best defense that Ohio State had mustered in several years mm-hmm. over the Ramblers. I'm not saying the Ramblers were, you know, the greatest offensive team to ever roll into the field of 64, but Ohio State looked pretty good in that game, relatively speaking. And then against Villanova, not so much. Well, they just they couldn't get points. I mean, the thing is, I think it's a lot easier to. I mean, you see this in football, right? Like when when you've got a lead or when your offense is humming, the defense that you know you can play gets a little more confident i think they start to understand what the other team is going to attempt to do because of the situational you know basically the plays and everything that they're going to have to run so i think the same can apply for basketball as well if you're down right and by large margins at certain points in the game the other team knows you're gonna have to be shooting threes right you're gonna you're gonna try to shoot your way back in the game at a certain point you're gonna be more risk-taking when it comes to certain shots and you normally would be, you're not going to take as much time to set up a play. All that, all, all that stuff applies. And if Ohio state is able to put some kind of offensive pressure on Villanova, then maybe you're able to, to, to play a little bit better defense. And, and maybe if you get consistent stops, then, you know, certain things like momentum starts to swing your way a little bit. The problem is, is that, this game really was a microcosm of Ohio state men's basketball entire season. And that you had injuries, you had streaky offense, uh, inconsistent defense, and really just kind of being outclassed uh, from in your roster top to bottom by just teams that were just flat out better. I mean, look, Villanova had a team on the floor, no matter who they had in, that to me just seemed flat out more talented than Ohio state top to bottom, right? Like EJ Liddell, Malachi Branham, great basketball players. After that Villanova, they're three to five guys, like numbers three, four and five guys just wiped the floor with anybody else that Ohio state was able to bring to bear. And that is a systemic problem within the program that is not necessarily a game to game matchup to matchup kind of thing that said there just isn't enough talent there problem and that i think is what has ohio state fans irritated upset annoyed that you're not able to compete 
past the first round of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think we'll talk about what the the, the fans uh, have to think about this uh, a little bit later on in the program. We've got some great uh, feedback from the audience on yeah. this particular game. You know, when I look at the box score at the end of the game, Villanova wins by 10. When you start breaking it down, you know, Ohio State shot 42% from the field. Villanova shot 44%. Yeah, marginally mm-hmm. better. But Ohio State, you know, made more buckets, 24 or 57 versus uh, Villanova's 23 or 52. Three-point shooting percentage was was close enough to similar. Uh, Ohio State made seven. Villanova made eight, you know, 32% and 35% respectively. It wasn't like one one team shot. 58% from the floor and the other team couldn't hit the ocean. Right. What really made a difference is when you look at um, uh, free throws, mm-hmm. uh, Villanova 17 to 20, I mean, Ohio state's foul trouble was just, you know, it, 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 it was a big challenge. Ohio state only got to the line uh, a handful of times. They made six of 11. They, 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 you know, shot 55% from the stripe. And, and that was the difference. I mean, among other things that you mentioned, but like when you look at where the points came from uh, Villanova's bench, as you rightly noted, uh, 13 bench points versus Ohio state's seven bench right. points. And, and, and that really, to me, I think is where, when you talk about the systemic issues, it, it, it comes down to who's on this roster. You've got, you got two guys in Liddell and Branham that are, are guys who are going to be playing at the next level. Uh, <laughs> we can talk a little bit later on as to when, when that might be for, for each of them, one of them sooner rather than later, the other, maybe who knows. Um, but but it's who's behind them with Kyle Young, you know we we've said many times during the season he's the, the third best scorer. This wasn't his night, you know, and and the poor guy who's taking more shots to the head, I think more than than any basketball I've seen in ages, took another one left the second half uh, before the game was over. You know if he's not if he's not lighting on all cylinders, given Brandon and Liddell you know, a little bit of extra backup. Who else is there? You know, unless you have another right. Joey Brunk game, like you had a few weeks ago where the guy just exploded. <laughs> it, 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 and I just, I get, I get perplexed at the way this roster is constructed. The number of roster spots that are taken up from guys who I don't think can give you meaningful minutes. And I, and I just, I know this isn't the roster exactly that Chris Holtman wanted to put on the floor with, you know, justice suing out of the mix Seth towns out of the mix. Mm-hmm. But you knew about that all, you know, you've known about those things for a while. Uh, I, I just, it puzzles me that you've got so many guys on this roster. It feels like who can't contribute meaningful minutes early in the season. You had some of those guys like Arns is a good example where you thought, Hey, here's a guy who really knows his role and is, is going to be a good role player. But we didn't see that really in the second half of the season at, at all. Oh you know? no. I mean, he got, he got much, much worse as the season went on to the point where any minutes he had on the floor period were wasted. I mean, I, I don't, it, it's really kind of wild how, how bad he got over the course of the season um, just relative to the role he was asked to do, which is literally just like pop some threes. You know what I mean? Like play defense, pop some three. That's all he has to do. And he was just not able to do either of those things. Um, yeah. I, I I'm with you, man. Like I, you look at, you look at the roster, like seriously, sit down and look at the roster and think about how many guys were actually capable of contributing quality minutes on the court. You got maybe five, right? Maybe that's not enough for a basketball team, especially if you get guys in foul trouble, like you mentioned, right? Especially early on against Villanova, you know, with Liddell, 
I'm sorry. Like in, in Liddell, you know, he was, he was definitely limited in the second half did not have a very effective second half offensively. Uh, I think he only had like five points or something like that. Um, if you don't have that, you got one other guy who can score for you consistently. Zed's limited. He's still, you know, obviously, you know, pretty gimpy. If you watched him on the floor, he was not hundred percent. You got a guy in Kyle Young who, you know, takes a blow to the head that knocks him out of the game. Uh, and then you've got nothing. You, you have nothing really in terms of offense uh, beyond Branham. And, and it's just like, that's, that's poor roster management. You, you've got to be able to have some kind of third or fourth option to score some points. And it doesn't have to be 15, but you got to hope that you can have another, like one or two other guys who can get you 10. And they just, they just don't have that on a consistent basis right now. Um, there's a lot of dead weight on the roster. There's a lot of dead weight. So, you know, next year we're going to see what happens, right? We're going to see what uh, it looks like when you have a very young team with a lot of talent. And if Holtman's able to coach those guys up and, and get some important wins and look good in March, we'll be hunky dory and everything's good. But, you know, as I've been saying for weeks, man, like the expectation is sweet 16. They haven't done it. Michigan, as, as I'm sure we'll get into here in a second, Michigan has done it five years in a row and a year where they looked like trash for significant parts of the season. Uh, they go in and they make the sweet 16 high state. Can't seem to do it at all. Um, that's not acceptable. And, and so, Ohio state had a winnable game in front of it there. I mean, Villanova has been great. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like that's a, that's a team. But you it's a small to team. See. They're a small lineup. That's the kind of team yeah. that Ohio state can play against. And, and you, you know, you look and say, that's that, that's why I call that a winnable game. And, and I mean, and they had their chances late, right. Yeah. You know, so they, they didn't lose by 30. It wasn't they made like, a run. They made a run. I think, I think at one point in the second half, we were going like a 15 <laughs> to five run, something along those lines. They got back in it. It looked ugly for a while. Then they're right back in it. Uh, you know, Holtman said after the game, just, just exactly what we were talking about a minute ago, you know, we've been searching for the third or fourth guy. It's been Kyle young a lot, other guys at times, but when we've been at full strength, sometimes Ed key, you know, and, and that's, and that's the challenge there is I think Ohio state as it's currently constructed can field a good starting five, a, mm -hmm. a good service because we got Liddell and Branham out there. You know, Kyle Young out there, you, you know, Wheeler was a good addition to this team. I think, I think it was a really good addition. You know, you could put together a, a nice starting five that can play with, with a lot of teams, you know, they showed it against Duke. They, they have no depth to be able to, to sustain right. that. They have nobody coming off the bench to sustain that. And, and that's, that's the challenge. What really blows my mind with the Michigan comparison this is the tale of two teams, right? On the one hand, Ohio state starts the season, like a house of fire, which really good, you know, has this, this, uh, you know, 10 win run at home. They beat Duke. They're, they're looking like a team that can make some noise. Heck, we were talking about them as potential big 10 regular season winners mm -hmm. relatively late in the season, Michigan. We talked about through the regular season, looking like hot refried garbage at times, as you noticed, as you noted, and then, you know, here they're in the sweet 16, play great in the postseason, and Ohio State, you know, falls apart, loses damn near every game in, in, in March, uh, and, and has this collapse when it really matters. Yep. What, what was really, I think in stark relief for me was that going into this tournament, you had writers writing puff pieces, uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to drag anybody here on this, but writing puff pieces about Ohio State 
celebrating making five tournaments in a row and there's something <laughs> right. like eight schools or whatever that had made five tournaments in a row well guys here's the deal michigan has just made five sweet 16s in a row right i don't give uh, you know a, a refried twinkie about making the tournament five years in a row when my hated rivals just made the sweet 16 yeah five years in a row why are these programs going in seemingly opposite directions uh, you know I, I i want to boil this all just down to coaching because that seems to me to be the big difference but is there something i'm missing no, i think it's coaching <laughs> i think that's i think that's really it i think that's literally it because it's not talent there's talent and it's not like availability of talent this isn't you know you can people like to do this uh, game theory with football it's like well the midwest has lost x amount of population remember i'm like okay that's dumb but at least you can make the argument in basketball. That doesn't really hold water because the Midwest has in, an incredible amount of basketball talent. Some of the best in the country, like period, you have a great, you know, source just even within state to draw from in terms of talent. If you want to go the trestle route. So it's not about talent. It's not about the people that you have available and can even recruit and all that stuff. It's that it really comes down in my opinion, to roster management. Um, and you know, we'll get into this a little bit later, but the lack of a true point guard, somebody who can really run the offense through, um, it's, it's been a huge detriment to this team in a lot of ways. Uh, it just, it has made the offense really exciting at times, really fast at times. And then other times, uh, you have a problem where other teams can kind of break you down a little bit. And that's, I think, what we saw against Villanova, where it, if you can't win one-on-one -on -one matchups, other teams, if they have a really strong defense, particularly like zone, things like that, they can, they can really hurt you bad. Um, and I think that's what you saw, especially in the first half against Villanova. So I, to me, it's coaching. It's figuring out what's most effective, what works, roster management, all that stuff. And that's just not up to snuff right now. Yeah, I'm going to open the phone lines here. We're going to take one from a caller. Uh, <laughs> uh, I am Shaddy81 on Twitter uh, writes, and, and Shaddy, thanks for thanks for the shout-out here during the during the broadcast. Um, he said, I think the failures of the basketball Buckeyes could be attributed to two areas, and, uh, and, I, and I want to see if we agree or not with Shaddy, if we think Shaddy's hit the nail on the head here, mm -hmm. um, because I think this sums up the feelings of many, 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 commenters and and social media fans of the team uh, that i've read over the past several days uh one no true point guard something you just mentioned wheeler right. uh, and i'm quoting shaddy here wheeler is an undersized two who can't get anyone else shots brandon's a scoring guard nobody else on the team's made anyone else around them better it was just brandon and ej taking turns isolating while everybody else stands and watches two he continues is player development What's Michi improved upon since arriving in Columbus? Ed Key's incredible raw skill, but did he get any better from November to March? Where was Arns down the stretch? Why recruit guys like Brunk and Sotos and Russell? They can't crack a tournament rotation. Warm bodies for practice? Question mark. And he goes on, not only are we not producing NBA players, we aren't producing players good enough to play Euroball. Um, and of course makes the, and this is the thing that I see consistently. Everyone makes this disclaimer. I do it too. I love Coach Holtman. I'm quoting Shaddy here, but he's got to be on the hot seat. Look at that team up north. I hate Howard. I respectfully hated Beeline. They get more than some of their parts out of this team next year. It's sweet 16 or bust and a top three finish in the Big Ten. He does add the disclaimer that um, I know suing in towns and young being gone were big factors for this team, but sure. we didn't make the most of the players we did have available. And that to me, you know, is, is a fair point. Like, because I know... I know coach Holtman has, has bristled in some of his 
uh, his radio show and, and press conferences and things here as things have kind of fallen apart late and, and after the loss to Villanova, uh, you know, about the fact that this is a different team with Justice Sewings and Seth Towns available, uh, Kyle Young being available, all those games he wasn't. That's his different team. I'll grant you that. I think the problem for Chris Holtman is you haven't earned the the mulligan, if you will, because we're now in year five and you have zero sweet 16s and zero right. big 10 titles where right. literally all of your predecessors going back to what we say last week or the week before we were talking about this, I mean, back to Randy Ayers, I think, mm-hmm. you know, the last three guys have had multiple sweet 16s and or big 10 titles by year five. Yeah. And that's, and that's exactly it. And, and as I've also mentioned, I mean, yeah, it sucks that you lose those guys. And with Kyle Young, it's not as predictable, but just assuming you've known, you know, is basically not going to come back since pretty much December. You've had a long time to prepare for that and figure out what you're going to do with your team. Seth Towns, you knew for a longer time that he wasn't going to be coming back and contributing to the team. So this isn't news. You you have time to prepare for this stuff. Um, I don't know. If, if uh, Look, let me put it this way. If Justin Arns is who you're relying on for quality minutes because you lost just assuming – or you can't, you know, put in set towns. That's a you problem. <laughs> I, I have very little sympathy if that's where you have to go. Um, so that's, you know, and, and we'll see what happens. Cause I, I really do agree. I think next year is sweet 16 or bust. I think they have to make noise in the big 10. They don't have to win it. It's, it's an incredibly difficult conference to win. Um, but you gotta be in the top tier and they've got talent coming in to do it, but you've just, like I said, it's it's frustrating watching this just because you know what Ohio State is capable of doing, has done in the past, and you're not seeing it right now. And that's you you don't want to have to keep waiting another year, you know? Like that's that's really to me, that's a big part of it. You just don't want to have to keep waiting another year. What I what I'm really curious to see is what this roster looks like and 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 what I'm thinking about in this regard is what Chris Holtman has to do via the transfer portal this offseason to make this team more competitive sure in the next season because as I look at the scholarship grid and by the way if you ever want to look at that that's a handy resource available to you at 11warriors.com so I look at the scholarship grid you know this is a really heavy veteran roster uh, because of the number of uh, nine, I think, of the scholarship players on the roster now, including Harrison Hookfin, who was originally a walk-on, but was granted a scholarly in, in January. Um, if you look at this, really heavy, nine of those in, in that senior category, however, comma, everybody except Young and Sotos um, still has an extra year of availability. You know, Towns aren't suing, uh, as I understand it, could play two more seasons at Ohio State. Liddell mm-hmm. could, but he's going to be gone. There's no question about that. Yeah, the question gone. is, does Malachi Branham decide to test the waters? Um, has he played himself into or out of uh, a draft selection? Um, so, you know, you, you guys, Brunk, Russell, and Wheeler using their final year of eligibility, so they're gone. Uh, you know, what's this roster look like next year? There's some really interesting dynamics at play here right who who stays and who goes and then who comes in because you've got uh a four-man class coming in i think of of recruits bruce thornton bowen hardman roddy gale uh let's see what bryce sensabaugh all all coming in here as as 22 commits but you you're going to need some bodies 
mm-hmm. off the transfer wire, right? Like there, there needs to be some infusion of talent here to, and, and is, is the thing that Shaddy mentioned, finding a true point guard is somebody in this recruiting class, the point guard that Ohio state seems to have been missing for a while now. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Bruce Thornton's a guy who's coming in to, to be a point. I mean, I don't, but you know, I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know. And the, the transfer portal has been one area where, uh, you know, I think Holtman hasn't, he's not done terribly, but I think he can do better than what he's, he's done. Um, and there are definitely some misses, I think, uh, you know, where you would hope that he could have brought in some, some bigger names. Um, yeah, well, I, I'm Thornton, with you, by the way, recently named Gatorade player of the year. So yeah, you know, which is, which is, fantastic right not, like not a small thing no not a small thing at all but again you have no idea you know how that translates in the ncaa like there's there's a there's a lot that you know that can go into that i i think he's going to be very good but i you know you just don't really know um i i think he does need to add though through the uh through the portal i think he's gotta i think he's gotta try to get some more more bodies in there who aren't just going to be like you know space eaters um that's yeah, because because there's been plenty of that you know it, it, if you're yeah. gonna be a, if you're gonna be a role player you've got to be really good at your role <laughs> you can't just be really good at taking up a spot on the roster uh exactly it's, it, it, it's not it's not going to be sustainable for very long and you know what what puzzles me is for a lot of time and i'm, I'm thinking back even to the latter years of the mata era the thad mata era where you know, it was very clear that things were not trending in the right direction. Um, you know, it wasn't the same Thad Mod experience that it had been in the early years when it was, you know, making the tournament all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Not making the tournament, I mean, making Sweet 16, Elite Eight, five, those final four appearances and so on. And, and and you'd see these great debates among fans and readers of our site and so on. Well, 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 if not Mata, then who? You know, who 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 would you rather have? Who would you get? And, and I don't want to play that game, but the thing that people always came back to is, well, Ohio State's not Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky. And, and I think I always pushed back on that in those, and I, and, and I still do. And I think Michigan kind of proves my point that Ohio State doesn't have to be Duke or right. UK or North Carolina or Kansas or Arizona or whatever UCLA, you know, whatever blue blood you think they need to be. Michigan's just made five sweet 16s in a row for crying out loud. A mm. big 10 team with the resources that Ohio state has can do that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then you're not, you're not looking even, you know, people are like, well, is Michigan, this? no, you don't even have to make, you don't have to make, you know, five sweet 16s in a row, <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta at least imagine being able to get there. Right. So I just, I don't know. I think that the team needs some serious uh, reinfusion of both talent and just direction. Um, and hopefully Holtman's the guy to do that. But if he's not, they got to figure out a different, a different dude to, to lead that ship. Yeah. Holtman didn't give me any great confidence when he said on Monday, uh, he's quote, more than confident that Ohio state will get over the tournament hump despite that loss because <laughs> right and i'm quoting here i believe in what we're doing cool um you know fans <laughs> definitely had feelings about that uh both those comments he said you know i know listen it's hard to win this tournament we've had four opportunities we've performed pretty well in three of them i believe in what we're doing i'm more than confident it will happen i want you to be confident i'm glad about that um 
and I don't know what I wanted him to say here, but I, but I know he said, I believe in what we're doing and you know, the results haven't been there yet that I, I think you have to question like, okay, why is what you're doing? Not getting the job done. Yeah. Why do you believe in what you're doing? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I mean, I guess I want my coach to believe in what they're doing. I, you know, I, I'd rather, I, I suppose I'd rather have that than, gee, guys, I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like, you know, that's no, but I would, not, but I would but, want him to be like honest and be like, look, clearly we need to try something different. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> look, look at Ryan, look at Ryan Day, right? You know, Ryan, Ryan Day misses the the uh, the, the chance to play for a national championship game and blows up the entire right <laughs> but that's my staff. point we're, okay yeah. so would ryan day after the mission game be like i still believe in what we're doing i think i think what's what's going on is great no because if people if he did that people would eat him alive yeah. and justifiably so because you just lost in a very high profile situation you don't go and say now nah, i think we're we got it we got it we know what we're doing no you you say clearly there are some issues that have to be fixed like what we've been doing is maybe adequate to make the tournament, but it's not, you know, it's not necessary. We, we aren't doing what's necessary to get to where we want to go. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to hear. Not, eh, no, I think what we got, we got a good thing going on. Not good enough, Chris. Like that's the problem. Not good enough. Not so good you got to change what you're doing. Uh, there's going to be some change this off season as, um, it looks like Tony skin, Ohio state assistant, Tony skin is going to, uh, be working for Maryland. It looks like Kevin Willard's expected to hire skin as an assistant. Um, the, that, that will precipitate some change. Of course, Ohio state already losing one assistant. So, so maybe it's as simple as that, that Holtman's going to have to remake his, his staff, uh, because he's losing a couple assistants to other programs. And, and maybe that's where, maybe that's where change starts. I, I don't know, uh, but there's a lot to talk about this off season. Certainly we will, we will cover that on to happier news. My friend, one Ohio state team, well, actually multiple Ohio state teams, won national titles over the weekend, uh, yeah. most notably Ohio state women's hockey, defeating Minnesota Duluth, uh, three to two to win the first national championship in program history. Gotta love that, man. We should have led with this story. This is so cool. Uh, Ohio <laughs> State national hockey champions for the first time ever. No, I just want to be mad about basketball. I'm not ever going to be happy about anything ever again. Let's not celebrate awesome stuff. It's tough, you know, this time of year, because you've got, like, this weekend, you had the NCAA wrestling tournament going on. You had the frozen mm-hmm. four going on. You had uh, men's basketball going on. The blue jackets were playing. The crew were playing, you know, it's it like was a busy weekend. It oh was my nuts. gosh. It was, it was absolutely not trying to figure out okay, what you're watching at any given time. And there's the great part about it. Is you had a lot of great sports to watch, mm-hmm. uh, but this women's program first ever NCAA title on the ice. Um, and to be the team out of Minnesota, cause like all of those Minnesota schools have, these crazy uh, hockey programs Um, and you know, to see what, because what we're talking about with the basketball situation uh, and, and what coach Holtman needs to do, there's a great story. Dan Hope wrote at the site uh, Monday talking about Nadine Moserall's basically, you know, rebuilding the women's hockey program and and believing that Ohio state could win a national championship. Cause I think Mm -hmm. that's what it starts with is, is, is assuming that at Ohio state, you can win anything right if if you build if you build the right program with the right culture uh you can you have the resources available 
to have great facilities, to have, you know, great amenities for your players, to, to have the sort of support staff that you need and, and so on. Columbus is a great city, not hard to recruit players to want to come here. We have a beautiful campus and so on and so on and so forth. Uh, I, I just love this. And it's such a, you know, a juxtaposition because if you look at what that women's program was coming back from, uh, you know, former head coach fired for NCAA violations, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, uh, also um, the previous head coach had ousted less than two years before that uh, because of an investigation of a sexual harassment complaint. So you've got two coaches in the span of a, a, a couple years ousted for not great things. And, and Ohio state never won more than 20 games in a season. And here we are, you know, five, six years later with the team winning a national championship. That's amazing. It is amazing. And what I think is really awesome is that you you look at this, you know, frozen Four, this women's college hockey frozen Four. they've been doing it since 2001, Ohio state really broke into this, you know, club, this really exclusive club, because since 2001, only four other teams have won this thing. Minnesota's won it six times. Wisconsin has won it six times. Minnesota Duluth has won it five times. Clarkson won it three times. And now the Ohio State women's hockey team has now won it for the first time. And I think that's awesome. I love that. I love that Ohio State can be a team like that. And like you said, you can win in anything at Ohio State. You have the resources. It's just, you know, do you have the right people in place and the level of give a damn? And they did. And they've been consistently good uh, for the past few years. And it's it's really cool to see that pay off. I, got, I was able to catch the end of that game because, um, as you said, it was it's, you know, really unfortunate it was going concurrently with Ohio State men's basketball. Uh, and I, I was able to watch the end of that game and it was tense. It was fun um ohio state was just shooting the lights out of the park i mean they're just all over the place high octane offense um it was cool it was a really really cool thing to watch and i'm glad it got you know on espn so you know it got some more attention uh it was just it was a cool event in general and um they earned that man they they did a great job it was great Speaking of shooting the lights out, this is the best segue ever. Ohio State's pistol team is a national champion again. Hey, all right. Pistol team capturing the overall national championship at the Intercollegiate Pistol Championship Saturday, placing first in the team air pistol, team sport pistol, and team standard pistol championships. Um, you know, and, and it, if Ohio State's feeling the team in tiddlywinks, I want to see him win, win an Abbey, you <laughs> sure. know, like that's just the way I roll. Uh, but that continues a run of national championships for the pistol team and previously won six open national championships and six women's national championships. Ohio State's overall champions for the second year in a row after winning both the open and the women's titles last year, mm-hmm. which they also won the open title. It looks like in 2014, 2000, comma, 2014, 15, 16, and 18 and the women's team title in 2003, 04, 09, and 17. So great run there. Uh, the men's gymnastics team, meanwhile, won a share of the Big Ten title, defeating the number four uh, Nebraska Huskers on senior day on Sunday, claiming a share of the Big Ten regular season title. Very cool, very cool. Uh, I'd also give a quick shout out to the men's wrestling team in Detroit, uh, not a great team finish. I didn't, didn't get on the medal stand, uh, the podium in the team race. However, uh, you had four all Americans, uh, Sammy Sasso, 
Gavin Hoffman, Caleb Romero, and um, uh, Carson Karchla finishing as All-Americans. And and got to give a major shout-out to Gavin Hoffman at 197 pounds. Dude started the tournament as the number 21 seed. And if you think about the way seeding works, if everyone wrestled to seed, per se, he would have been expected to finish 21st out of a field of 33 guys, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he ended up making uh all america status who's one of the top eight um as as were sasso karchla and caleb romero so yeah i mean romero or uh, uh hoffman had three huge upset wins in a row before he uh ended up in the in the wrestlebacks for the consolation tournament so some great individual performances there not an overall great team performance unfortunately um but you know hey next season will be here any minute now Let's uh, shift gears, shall we, to our favorite segment of the program, Ask Us Anything. Time to remind you that the 11 Dubcast is brought to you by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Hats, t-shirts, stickers. You know, spring has sprung in central Ohio, which means it's time for you (laughs) to buy some new merch. As you are doing your spring cleaning, you can get rid of some of your skanky old t-shirts and get some fabulous new 11 Warriors t-shirts, which you'll find at drygoods.11warriors.com. What do you find in the mailbag, my friend? All right, so just one question this week. This is from our good friend Alvin, who sent us a question to dubcast at 11warriors.com, D-U-B-C-A-S-T at 11warriors.com, who simply wants to know, what is one foreign language that you wished you picked up? Well, that's a, that's a great one. I, I, will, I will say uh, first that I took three years of French in high school. Ooh. Um, oh, wee not, wee. I'm wee not, monster. Yeah, I'm not sure that I could get much past what you just cobbled together if I actually had to go and uh, make do with the language. Um, yeah, that wouldn't be great. The family and I are using the Duolingo app. Uh, no, this is oh, not nice. a, a commercial or paid endorsement. Uh, we're using the Duolingo app to try to learn Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's going fine. I've, <laughs> I, I have learned that you cannot just append L to the beginning of a word in English and then no. add the letter O to the end of that word to, you know, make Spanish. It doesn't work that way. Uh, so no. English is not a thing. Um, but the language, honestly, that I wish I had learned, um, would still love to, and it's, and it's partly because of my, my day job involved in agriculture. Uh, I'd love to be, be able to learn to be able to speak Chinese. Uh, Mm, I I think the, you know, the world we live in, in terms of, you know, the, the flow of money and goods and and economics. And because I work in agriculture, uh, China is a very large trading partner of the United States and or trading competitor for the United States, depending on what agricultural commodity we're talking about. And so I would love to be able to go to China and travel the country and just learn about its uh, economy and its agriculture industry, um, nascent agriculture industry, really. And, mm-hmm. and to be able to speak the language. Now, the challenge there being, as, as the more well-read listener will know, is that saying I want to learn to speak Chinese. Um, <laughs> Slightly not, easier said than done. Well, it's not really a thing, right? Like, are you talking about Mandarin, which would be the, you know, the more right. official language? Are you talking about Cantonese? Uh, as mm-hmm. my friend from Hong Kong, his family speaks Cantonese. You know, there seems like about a, a, you know, a million different dialects and 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 so on of the language so you you have to be a bit more specific than that but just in general terms uh i would say that was a language that if i hadn't if i had had my way we would have um you know hired a mandarin speaking au pair or nanny or something like that and our daughter would learn (laughs) 
the language. I got overruled on that. I was told yeah. that, that my desire for my child to be a polyglot was not a reason for us to get, <laughs> to get an au pair because we were not, in fact, made of money. So <laughs> uh, easy come, easy go. It's yeah, it is what not it is. a bad thought, though. I, I, no, it was know. a great idea. Just, you know, we yeah. hadn't won the lottery before the child was born. So sure. what are you going to do? You know, well, yeah, next time. Uh, I so Spanish is a really good one. I I took Spanish for a long time. I I took it really as a class regularly starting in seventh grade until my freshman year of college, um, pretty regularly. And I never got any good at it. I I just I don't have real knack for languages, but it I don't know. I've always said to my students and and many of whom are bilingual, right? Who they speak maybe Somali at home or maybe they speak Spanish or some other language. Like it is such an incredible like skill to have to be bilingual and literally anything. It gives you a leg up in life playing for jobs, just in your you know normal interactions with people, especially in a big diversity like Columbus. Um, I just really wish I would have, I, I think maybe applied myself a little bit more at Spanish understood a little bit better worked a little bit harder at it because i wasn't you know i took it for a long time so i i could speak it to the level of someone who had taken it for that long and had you know devoted a mediocre amount of attention to it in class but um i think being fluent or near fluent in that would be incredibly useful uh just for so many reasons when i lived in japan um i didn't know any. I mean, I when I moved over there, I, I knew literally zero Japanese beyond you know some cultural niceties. But I think I picked that up actually fairly quickly. And part of that was just you're immersed in it, so you're you know listening to it every day, and you know you speak what you can speak in every situation that you can. Um, and had I stayed there longer than I did, I think I might have gotten fairly decent at it. And you know I can still read like katakana, which is basically useless. Uh, and some kanji and, and some hiragana, but um, that's another language. I think I really, honestly, I really enjoy the Japanese language. It is a really interesting language in a lot of ways. I love like the, and you know, same with Chinese, but I, I love the, the way the written word is constructed via kanji and, and, you know, other types of like pictographs and all that kind of stuff. I, that, that's really interesting to me how that is done historically. Um but yeah, I think those are the two languages. And maybe it's just because what I'm familiar with uh, that I wish I would have invested more time into, but really any language, honestly, man, like German would have been really cool to know. French, sure. even though even though I like consonants, French would be a cool thing to pick up, right? Because we're fairly close to Quebec, right? I go jaunt up to Montreal and be able to talk to people. That would be pretty neat. Um, I don't know, man. Any Really any foreign language is valuable for people to learn. Um, and just because I think I had more acquaintanceship with Spanish, I, I kind of wish I would have stuck with it more. You know, it's it, it's interesting, like when you, you mentioned, uh, you know, going up to Canada. So I had some advertising clients in, in Quebec, and that, that mm -hmm. was very interesting to try to try out my rudimentary uh, <laughs> French when I when I went up there. And, and what, what I found really interesting was, you know, at the hotel restaurant where I was staying in Quebec City, uh, they, they would work with you in English, but not everywhere you went would, you know, some of the Quebecers right. really take that whole Francophone thing very mm -hmm. seriously. Um, and so, you know, there was one restaurant I stopped in as I was driving from, I drove from Toronto to Quebec city or something along those lines or Montreal right. to Quebec city. I was driving somewhere across Canada at any rate. 
and stopped somewhere for lunch or whatnot. And it was, it was interesting. The gentleman was not thrilled that I wasn't a, uh, a, a fluent French speaker. Uh, <laughs> your thing about, you know, being bilingual. I, I remember the first time I went to Europe, I was in high school. I was going on, on more or less a school trip uh, and went into Switzerland and you realize that the Swiss, you know, many of the people you would meet were, were not just bilingual, but they were, they were true polyglots. They were, oh, they yeah, were multiple, it's wild. you know, so they're, they're speaking uh, French and German and Italian and, and of course, English, and they right. speak English better than I did. You know, it seemed like I was always my job. Well, and comment. people who live in many countries in Africa, too. I mean, think of how yeah, many yeah, countries are on that oh continent. Gosh. I mean, languages, I, languages I've never even heard or heard of, right? right? You know, it's a true, absolutely case. And, and we, you know, we take it largely for granted, um, and maybe rightly so anymore. I mean, the world, you know, has, has certainly adopted English as a lingua franca in a lot of ways, but you know, we take it for granted when we travel that somebody there is going to speak the language. And certainly that was the case when I went to Europe, you know, I remember there was one place, it was an ice cream store of all places. I was with a group of friends. I mean, you know, we're 15, 16, 17 years old and the grumpy old German man in Austria. Um, the only reason I say German man is because I'm pretty sure what he was cursing us in was German. Um, but we were in Austria and we went to this little ice cream shop. And he was adamant. You would order the ice cream in French. He had the little labels. Of course, the little labels were there in French and German, I think maybe. Um, and, you know, so raspberries, frambois. And so you had to say that you wanted frambois, s'il vous plaît. And then he would give you the ice cream. But, you know, my friend who <laughs> wasn't like on the ball with what uh, he was wanting to do. I mean, the guy kind of got shirty with her about ordering ice cream in English, you know, so it was like, <laughs> But but that was that was a one instance, you know, like one out of a three week trip or whatever, where almost everybody spoke English and it was fine. Well, I think it's just, you know, in the United States, there isn't necessarily an assumption that you will become bilingual. Right. And I think in a lot of other places around the world, most other places around the world, it's like yes. that's that's just how you're going to you're going to do that as an expectation of your education because yep. you have to. You have a choice. And mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. I feel like maybe it's, it would be a good idea to approach it with that kind of intentionality when we start teaching kids languages, like not like this is just a class you have to take, but it's important for you to do because it's, it's going to be helpful for your life. Right. And what's funny is like, I think we recognize that. I remember specifically when I was choosing my high school electives and, you know, if you wanted to do college prep coursework, you were going to take a foreign language. Like that was a requirement. So our two options at my little Southern Ohio rural high school were Spanish and, and French. I chose French. I couldn't honestly tell you why. Um, I, I really don't know why. I just chose French. I, oh, I do know why. Actually, I like the French teacher better than I like the Spanish teacher. That's there why. you go. Yeah, I really dislike the Spanish teacher um, who also taught the first year of French or the third year of French. But the first two years of French were this lovely woman, uh, just very delightful teacher. And and so I was like, OK, I can I can love two years with her and suffer through one years, one year with third teacher where you were going to have the other teacher for all three years of Spanish. And I was like, I don't want to do that. that. That's what it was. Now that I tell the story out loud, that's that's what it was. Well. My dad was, was livid. He's like, why are you taking French? You, when are you ever going to need French? <laughs> He's like, you should learn now, you know, and mind you, this was, you know, just after the gung-ho era of uh, Japanese taking over 
the manufacturing um, space, right? And, and everything coming from Japan, it seemed like, you know, oh, sure, the, right. the era of, of the, uh, yeah. the, the classic song turning Japanese. And uh, well, there was definitely song. a very, there was a very large amount of panic. In the oh, end. yeah. Right, right, right. We Actually, were... I remember, I think Michael Crichton wrote like three novels about yeah. Rising Sun and, and, and I mean, I <laughs> Japanese read... uh, economy was going to destroy us all. <laughs> Yeah, go back. I mean, I read Rise. It was Rise. It wasn't Rising Sun. They did, and then uh, Wesley yeah, Snipes like and Sean Connery. I think were in the movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it was very much a cultural zeitgeist at the time. That that yeah, we were we were losing whatever we were losing to the Japanese. And so my dad was like, "Look, you need to learn Japanese and Spanish. If you learn Japanese and Spanish, you could be able to write your ticket." You know, like well, of course, there was no way I was going to be able to learn Japanese. Like what they weren't teaching that in school. This is before the modern internet where you just go and, you know, download an app and that sort of thing. And I just never switched. I was like, I, I don't care about learning Spanish dad. And now, you know, fast forward, God, I sound like my dad fast forward 20 plus years. And I really wish my daughter would learn right and Mandarin and Spanish, right? Like if you'd learn those <laughs> two languages. You can well, write Spanish make, I think Spanish makes a little, like Mandarin, obviously, I mean, I think there is a legitimate under like argument for that just in terms of, you know, how the world economy has gone and things like that. I don't, I don't think you're going to see a, a collapse in China like you did in Japan in the 90s. But um, Spanish is, is I mean, obviously, uh, it's the second most spoken language in the country. So I think that's that's pretty urgent, at least in terms of, you know, something that you might want to learn and check out and understand mm-hmm. to at least yeah. a little bit of extent. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't know, man, I, I, but I'm with you. I, I think, I think learning a second language is super important and I feel kind of dumb that uh, I never was able to do that to a great extent. So that's a good question, Alvin. I appreciate that. that yeah. Makes, fantastic makes question. Think. It makes me think. So thank you for sending those in. Keep sending those questions. We love them, especially in the off season guys, which we're now in. We are now in the off season. Some very interesting off season fodder dropped by the athletic on monday cover, <laughs> cover story at theathletic.com describing the most toxic environment i've ever been a part of inside urban meyer's disastrous year with the jaguars and let's be real it wasn't even a full year uh urban meyer after having been exceptionally successful at the collegiate level though not without his share of fits warts freckles and baggage has had one of the most disastrous disastrous flirtations with the nfl uh of my lifetime certainly oh god yeah. when you read this piece in the athletic uh how how mind-blowing was some of the stuff that came out of that it just felt like a dude who honestly like here's the thing i could make a lot of snarky jokes and and comments about urban meyer but honestly it really feels like a dude who was checked out the second he got in the nfl i don't think i really 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 don't think that he was ever really invested in this job and the reason why i say that is because to believe that urban Meyer went ahead and just decided, you know, he, he approached the NFL the same way he did college football. You have to believe that for his entire coaching tenure and the college ranks, urban Meyer basically just went around berating people. Didn't get involved with actual game planning. Didn't like figure out, you know, (laughs) X's and O's didn't worry about any of that. He just basically went around telling everybody they sucked and then went off to a bar because First of all, if he did do that and was as successful as he was, then he is the luckiest SOB in the history of the universe. I don't believe that. I think he actually attempted to coach while in college. And I think once he got in the NFL, he believed he was just going to be this like 
I don't know, figurehead management guy, whatever, and was going to be the attitude dude while everybody else coached better because he was around. And then that was the extent of his involvement. Um, I really believe that. I, I think that's what happened. Now, maybe he was super involved and maybe blah, 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 but that athletic article really, really made it seem like his, he felt his job was to go in, kick some ass and then call it a day. Problem is, is that everybody that was playing for him and coaching for him knew more about the NFL than he did both in terms of personnel, how players just react to being yelled at. And then I think overall scheme and urban Meyer was just so unbelievably out of his depth that I think he knew it immediately and just resorted to the only thing that he's ever seen work, which is just be a dick. And so I don't know, man. It some of that stuff in that article, I don't know how much of it's true. <laughs> uh, you know, for comedy's sake, I hope you know most of it. But uh, regardless, I just it, it feels like a guy who was absolutely rowing a canoe without a paddle. Um, had no idea what he was doing, and and that's really I think the most shocking part of all of that, beyond the fact that he apparently didn't know who Aaron Donald was, which is also very funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some of the anecdotes in there are just mind blowing, you know, for, for one, one of the early ones in the story, if you haven't read the piece at the athletic.com, uh, it's, it's a pretty um, stinging indictment, you know, one of the, one of the anecdotes was somebody misses an assignment during a preseason game, play gets busted, and the next day, uh, Meyer warns that if it happens again, he's going to cut every single one of them in that position right. group and says, you know what happens if I cut you? you won't get a job paying more than $15 an hour. Uh, so not okay, only is that insulting, coach. but but it's also nonsensical. Like what you're going to cut everybody like shut the, shut the hell up, dude. No, well, you're a, you're going to cut everybody and B the assumption is that the guys that you're cutting, you, you know, are, are next to valueless is, is what you're right. saying. You know, you're, you're basically, because right. he's trying to make the point that going from millionaires to, you know, pumping gas and, and like what number one, like, Hey coach, you've this been, isn't Utah, you've been, dude, like, well, but, but, but here's, but here's the thing that bothers me, like the hypocrisy of it, because this is the guy that instituted real life Wednesdays and mm. trying to teach these guys at Ohio state about life after football and making something oh, sure, for yourselves. Yeah. And so like you've built that, that sort of brand, if you will, some of those things that urban Meyer brought to the table at Ohio state are still at Ohio state and a valuable part of the program. Right. Did you mean any of that? Like, you know, was it all just a means to an end to well, get and moms and dads mean. to send you their kids? Like, right. that's the thing that bothers me because it, you, you know, you maybe you look at the professional player differently than you do the college player. You know, these are grown adults making millions of dollars a year, whatever, whatever, whatever. But they're still people, right? Mm -hmm. Like Woody Hayes said, you win with people. And I can't imagine Woody going around yelling. Yes, but telling guys i'm going to cut every last one of you worthless bastards <laughs> like okay oh well i can i can imagine him saying that but I not meaning imagine, it literally <laughs> right but here's the thing though i can imagine his team not believing a single word of it because they're like oh well woody's crazy whatever and i think woody understood that and that there was a there was an understanding between him and his teams that he is who he is and he's going to say insane crazy stuff but then he's going to come back later and say okay i've cooled down i'm not a crazy person Urban meyer never did that yeah. And his tenure with the Jacksonville Jaguars was everybody just like 
not wanting to be around this dude for any period of time because according to this article because they just didn't it's not even that they were like afraid of the guy it's that it was like he was actively sabotaging anything from improving because of how he approached his interactions with the rest of the team and like that's what i mean by it almost feels like you know how this article is conveying that he was just totally checked out because there's no anything and all these postmortems, right and all these articles that have been written about the jacksonville jaguars and Myers tenure there and all this other stuff i haven't ever heard about how he tried to improve the team i haven't heard about how he changed some practices like that the teams were doing right like some things that they normally did they're at their you know sop i don't hear anything about how he reformed things to try to make the team more efficient to play better i just hear about how he was being a jerk and yelling at guys and saying that they were terrible and that that's like you got to have both things if you're going to be this huge you know overbearing jerk and, and just demean people okay first of all you can't really get away with that for long but secondly you actually have to have the appearance of trying to make their lives better in the long run and i know the athletic article talks a little bit about how uh, the jaguars weren't doing enough he felt the jaguars weren't doing enough um you know in terms of player health and things like that but i to me it just seems like a guy walked in realized that he was in over his head and try to swagger his way out of it. <laughs> it's just, you can't do that. You can't do that in the NFL. You have to bring something to the table. And it looks like he brought nothing to the table. I, what, what, what boggles my mind, I think a little bit is, is, is I was one of those going into the urban Meyer experiment that thought, you know, he's either going to be the next Jimmy Johnson, or he's going to flame out spectacularly. I don't think I thought the flame out spectacularly was going to be this, you know, the him threatening to fire coaches on a regular basis, threatening to fire <laughs> team members on a regular basis, you know, right. kicking the kicker, uh, uh, you know, of course there, the, the thing like not knowing who Aaron Donald was, right. um, you know, having winners and losers days and doing, you know, so the, the non-contact, you know, doing live contact drills in training camp when veteran coaches, like I just things like that. I, I don't know. I have a hard time with the, the checked out explanation just because like, this is a guy who lives on the adrenaline of winning. So I mm -hmm. can't imagine you're going into the toughest environment, you know, the top level of your chosen profession and just going out at checked out. I don't know, maybe, maybe, but why leave a lucrative TV contract when he was extremely good at the TV? Why yeah, I, I mean, contract to go and zombie walk through coaching a team like that part. I, I don't know. I'm, I don't, I'm not I, there. I can't answer that either. I, I, it is, it's weird. I mean, the whole situation where I'm with you hundred percent is like, it's a weird situation. Like this, yeah. the, the stories that have come out of there um, are just are wild. Great piece of the athletic. Um, if, if you haven't read it, you should do that. And here's, here's the thing I want to finish on to tie this back to Ohio state. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, nobody goes out at Ohio state on their own terms, right? Like if you yeah. look at, you look at, 
you know, from, from Woody on, and, and I'm sure we go back and you know, there's Ohio state was known as the graveyard of coaches for, for a reason. Uh, you know, Woody goes out on the punch Earl goes out because he couldn't win enough games. Cooper goes out because he can't beat Michigan. Uh, Trestle goes out because he falls on the sword for this goofy ass non-scandal scandal. Urban mm-hmm. goes out because of the Zach Smith debacle among other things. And right you know the what 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 kind of bothers me is if you look at you know earl bruce if you look at john cooper you look at jim trestle after their ouster you know they're they're basically like you know beloved uncles after that you know earl being the most obvious where people just revered that guy you know he's just sort of around He's not doing anything else. He's not openly detracting from the program or <laughs> from the prestige of the university. Same yeah. with Co- Coach Cooper, right? Like, what's John Cooper ever done since losing to Michigan that made anybody say that damn Cooper? Like nothing, right? Right. <laughs> Jim right. Trestle's gone on, you know, to be a university president for crying out loud, you know, yeah. universally beloved guy. And then you've got this joker uh, who's out there, like, showing his ass on a regular basis. I, it, it, it bugs me. It doesn't have anything to do with Ohio state anymore, but it just is kind of wild to me. The, the contrast between all of his predecessors in modern history and how he's gone out. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And urban Meyer just for whatever, whatever he ends up doing after this and and moving forward does not seem like the kind of guy who goes quietly into the night <laughs> you know what i mean like there's not going to be any elder statesman uh from from Urban meyer i think at ohio state and it was about you know what i told somebody that actually a few days ago i talked talk to my one of, one of my co-workers about it they're like oh you don't think he'll be welcome back I'm like no because <laughs> ohio state Mm-mm. if anything they're they're about the brand and if you continually make the brand look worse uh, as I think Urban Meyer has, um, then no, you don't. You don't get invited back on a on the shoulders of your <laughs> former players. Nobody is bigger than the brand. Period. No, nobody exactly. Is bigger than the brand. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this train up. I uh, we we talked about Harry Miller when he announced his um, retirement from football, but wanted to make mention again um, the. Uh, former Ohio State lineman uh, appeared on the Today Show on Monday to talk about his mental health uh, struggles and his journey that ultimately led to his retirement from football. Um, you know, and what a wild juxtaposition to the story we were just talking about about Urban Meyer's uh, abuse of players and staff members in Jacksonville to you know Ryan Day because there was a great um, Twitter message that uh, was shared from the Miller camp. Mm-hmm. on talking about what Ryan day said to Harry Miller and, and saying, in essence, I don't care about football. I care about you. You know, right. I, I don't care about In fact, this was the direct quote from Christina Miller, uh, quoting Ryan day. I don't care about football. I care about you, that you're happy and healthy. Uh, M- Mrs. Miller went on to say all programs, every sport and level need to emulate the support coach day put in place for his players forever. Grateful breaking the stigma. Uh, number one, again, I think back to what we said um, in the previous episode that, kudos to harry miller for you know not only sharing his story but doing so so publicly and and vulnerably so Mm -hmm. that maybe others who are um dealing with the same feelings and emotions and struggles can can feel like it's it's okay 
to right. be open that they're about not that. alone that they're not alone hugely important that there are people who care about you whether you know it or not and you know just and then and, and, you know hey kudos to the today show i guess too for taking on the topic and sure. and putting it um out there so prominently well and here's the thing so i you know for being really cynical and it's easy to be cynical in college sports and in sports in general it's like okay well ohio state you know is promoting this and trying to make themselves look good but honestly like i think this is something that should be talked about and and repeated ad nauseum not to make ohio state look good but to act that as an example for how people should act and comport themselves when confronted with something like this you know and when you're in a position of power like ryan day or anybody else and and you know the sports world or wherever when someone comes to you with that and says you know this is how i'm feeling this is what i'm going through because that should be the standard and it shouldn't be something where we pat each other on the back for you know handling it the right way that should be just the norm and i think that's why it's important to tell these stories and talk about these stories because we have to make it more acceptable to do the right thing in this situation and not be you know afraid to really tackle this issue in in the right way um like and i don't mean from harry miller's standpoint i mean from ryan day's standpoint when you have a position of authority and and the ability to do something for someone else that's got to be the standard that Mm -hmm. happens every time and so that's why i think the story is like i said important to be told because other people need to hear that frankly there's a there's a lot of people who who wouldn't know what to do in that situation or maybe would have done something else and uh they need to know that that's that's not the way to go they need to look at this as an exemplar for how to handle something like that yep well put and we're going to leave it at that that would encourage uh you to if you didn't watch harry miller's segment on the today show you can you can do that the social clips from the segment are included in uh, Kevin's story at 11warriors.com. Uh, I would encourage you to go read that. And, and if you are uh, struggling with your own journey, know that there are people out there who care about you and, and want you to be able to find peace and, and be well. It's going to do it for this episode and we'll have lots to talk about now that the off season of off seasons is upon us, basketball, wrestling, hockey, et cetera, et cetera, done and in the barn here uh for gosh many many months we'll be talking about uh, spring and summer sports and off-season things as football spring practices and camp and the spring game uh actually aren't all that far away now that spring has officially sprung so until next week i'm andy i'm johnny thanks for joining us on the 11 dubcast